0: the book of Daniel. We're going to be doing three things tonight. We're going to be doing an introduction to the book, and then chapters one and two. So if you want to just turn to Daniel chapter one, let's just start with Daniel himself. Uh, Daniel is a very unique man in scripture for several reasons. His, His name actually means God is my judge. Um, nothing bad is said about Daniel. And you can't say that about any other person in the scriptures. But nothing is said, anything bad about Daniel. Uh, Daniel's uh, life spanned is entirely, his first 16, 17 years would have been in Jerusalem but from the time he was 16 to 17, he spent his entire life um, in Babylon. The reason he's in Babylon is um, Babylon, we're gonna talk about the different world empires beginning with Egypt in just a second, but the world ruling empire under Nebuchadnezzar during this time um, came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. In three different stages, Daniel and his three friends that we'll read about here in chapter one in just a minute um, were taken uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh, This captivity, and the reason for the captivity is really uh, the Lord, through Jeremiah, Jeremiah was told by the Lord that he's gonna use Nebuchadnezzar as his instrument Jeremiah prophesied, and he was giving a message that people did not want to hear because it was not a popular message. One of the reasons we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Basically, he was telling the people, we don't want you to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar because um, they broke the law of the Sabbath for the land, and as a result of breaking that law and not allowing the land to have its Sabbath rest, the Lord, through Jeremiah, told them that they were going to be in captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, the king, and they were not to fight against us because God was going to use Nebuchadnezzar as his instrument to bring about this judgment um, on uh, Jerusalem. And for our first sidetrack, I'd like you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, to Jeremiah chapter... 52, and we will look at this destruction, the capture of Jerusalem. And we'll pick it up in verses 1 through 14. Jeremiah 52 is the last chapter in the book of Jeremiah. Verse 1. Now, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and his mother' name was uh, Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. <clears throat> he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Akim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, till he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon, and it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, On the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his army came against Jerusalem and camped against it. They built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken down and all the men of war fled and went out of the city at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden. And even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around, uh, they went by way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans, which would be the same as saying the Babylonians, pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered From him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon in Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he killed all the princes of Judah in Riblah. And he also put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters, took him to Babylon and put him in prison until the day of his death. Now, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem that are in the house of the great men he burned with fire and the army of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down all the walls of Jerusalem all around. And if you'd like uh, to read the rest of it, it just talks about them looting now uh, the treasures that would have been in Babylon, at the, uh, Jerusalem at this time, and, take, and took them back to Babylon. We know more about Daniel the man, than we do of any other prophet. Uh, He gives us a personal account of his life from the time he was carried captive to Babylon in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, which is about 606 B.C., until the first year of King Cyrus, about 536 B.C. Daniel's life and ministry bridged the entire 70 years of captivity at the beginning of the book, he is a boy in his teens. At the end, he is old um, in his 80s. Let's go back to chapter 1 of Daniel. And actually, the book of Daniel, we're studying in Revelation. And Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, last Sunday we mentioned that the key to the book of Daniel, uh, Revelation is chapter one, verse 19. And it tells us that it was divided, the book of Revelation, into three sections. The Lord told John to write the things that he saw, that's chapter one, division one. Then he said write the things that are, which would be in the present tense, that's chapters two and three. We'll be beginning that section this week. But then the third division of the book of Revelation Is then he is told to write the things that will be after that. After what? After the things of the church. And thus you have the division of the book of Revelation. Well, it's interesting to me that the book of Daniel is also divided into three sections. Section one is the first chapter. And again, what's interesting here, it's written in Hebrew. That's the introduction of the taking of Daniel. Uh, So chapter 1 is the first division. It's written in Hebrew. Then when we have the second division of the book, which we'll be starting tonight, chapter 2, that goes from chapter 2 through 7, which is the second division of the book. Uh, It is not written in Hebrew. It is written in Aramaic. And it's the prophetic plan for the Gentiles and thus going into the Aramaic. And it deals with the Gentile world empires. And the third division of the book, 8 through 12, we'll be getting to. um, It reverts back to Hebrew from chapter 8 through 12 because it's the prophetic plan for Israel. Um, Beginning with... The the downfall of Jerusalem. Um, it's actually there's this term that we use um, that's called Jerusalem will be trodden down on the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Well, where did that begin? The time of the Gentiles begins when King Nebuchadnezzar destroys Jerusalem, and they were in submission and taken into captivity. And that was the beginning of this, if you're taking notes, it's Luke chapter 21, verse 24, where the Lord is talking about, um, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they shall be led away captive to, into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trotted down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now, all, um, we have friends like Russ Miller and Jay Siegert and and other creationists, who do a wonderful job with science um debunking um the sheer folly and foolishness that our our world is millions and millions and millions of, of years old. Uh the earth is six thousand years old, and that can be proven scientifically. Uh Russ does a great job as he takes us through um the Grand Canyon and just through pure science, lays out the fact that the first archeological evidence of any civilization goes back to um, Egypt, which was the first, there's gonna be seven world-dominating governments that dominated the whole world. The first one was Egypt. And when you do the archeological research Um, They say they find bones that are dated back, carbon dated so far. Um, One that's just coming to mind that I was in the news just a couple weeks ago was um, one of these woolly mammoths that was recovered and um, (laughs) he still had blood in his veins and DNA in his tissue and he was supposed to be um, millions and millions and millions of years old. And they found him... Um, um, up in the northern parts of the North Pole in that area, frozen and um, so we can trace archaeologically back to the first world empire which would have been Egypt well if Egypt was eventually conquered by the Assyrians they would have been the second world dominating empire and we'll be going back to uh, Hezekiah um, tonight before Babylon comes on the scene so we have Egypt first Assyria second but then Babylon is going to conquer the Assyrians and what we'll find out tonight is that Babylon will eventually be overcome by the Medes and the Persians Um, after that we have Alexander the Great and the, the Grecian Empire we'll be talking about and then the last world conquering empire um, would have been the Romans. And so there's six right there, but what's important about our study tonight, it goes and talks about what it's gonna be in the latter days, about this future one world leader, and that will make seven. Again, if, uh, the number seven is a very interesting number in the book of Revelation. So we have six that have come and gone. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Grecian, Roman. It's a fact of history. Um, the book of Daniel, I might have read this, but if I didn't, I'll read it again because it's worth, worth reading twice. The book of Daniel is the key to understanding other scriptures. Our Lord in the Olivet Discourse course, quoted only from the book of Daniel. The book of Revelation is largely an enigma without the book of Daniel. Paul's revelation concerning the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2 3 needs Daniel's account for amplification and clarification. So, with that much of a little bit of a background and introduction, let's turn to chapter 1 and look at the first seven verses. And it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the house of Shinar, into the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aspidaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, uh, personal knowledge and quick to understand, who had an ability to serve in the king's palace, of whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily portion of the king's delicacies, and of the king's wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names, to Daniel he gave the name um, Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. So here um, we're we're told that they were given um, these delicacies to eat, a little bit of an introduction. Turn with me to, I mentioned we were gonna talk about Hezekiah. He was actually... One of the good kings of Israel, but go to Isaiah chapter 39, and we will read about Hezekiah's sin and the prophecy that we just read in the first seven verses. Hezekiah was sick. The Lord told him to go home and put his house in order. That's in chapter 38, verse 1. And Hezekiah began to pout about it, and he basically said, "Lord, I don't want to die. Just remember that I've walked with you in truth, with all my heart." And Hezekiah wept before the Lord and wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah's angle and said to Hezekiah, "Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father: I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears, and I'm going to add to your days fifteen years." There's a whole Bible study which I could get sidetracked here on. Um, the Lord honoring your prayers. Well, he got his 15 years. But when you look at those 15 years, basically um, what happened was um, when a a son was born, uh, which was one of the most evil of the kings of Israel, and he would have been born after this time. And Word of his recovery, chapter 39, had came to, let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 39, at that time, um, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, sort sort of a get well gift, I should say, for he heard that he had been sick and that he had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them all the house of his treasures. Now again, if he was dead, this wouldn't be happening. And he's basically showing off the silver and the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, all his army, all that was found among the treasures. There was nothing in the house of his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to the king Hezekiah and said to him, Why did these guys come down? Where did they come from and what did they say to you? And Hezekiah said, "Uh, they came to me from a far country from Babylon. And he said, well, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, well, they've seen it all. that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I haven't shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Now Now he's prophesying. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons. Well, we just read about them. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. And directly, there's a prophecy in verse seven about them. Whom you will beget, they shall be eunuchs, in the palace of the king of Babylon, and exactly that's what they were. David was never, Daniel was never married, never had children. Um, and, but Hezekiah's attitude is this, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah, well, the word of the Lord which he have spoken is good, for he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. The Lord says, Hez- Hezekiah, get your house in order, I'm taking you home. Probably could have been the best thing that if he would have done that so we have this prophecy let's go back to Daniel where Isaiah prophesied this to Hezekiah let's pick it up in um, verse five here where it talks about because of the privilege that they're in the king's court they're giving these kings delicacies what the king would eat what the king would drink so on and so forth um and we find um, Daniel, let's pick it up in verse 8 through 16 here. But Daniel purposed it in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the, the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, "Look, you put my head on the line." He says, "I fear the Lord, the king, who has appointed you your food and drink. For why should uh, he see your faces looking worse than the young men that are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king." So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "Please." give us a test, test your servant for 10 days and just give us vegetables to eat and water to drink and then he can check us out, See it, look at our countenance and let it be examined before you and the countenance of the young men who eat the the portion of the king's delicacy as you see fit, so, so deal with your servant. So he said, why not, 10 days, I'll give you 10 days. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days and at the end of the 10 days their countenance appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacy. This is the steward. He took away the portion of the delicacies and the wine and they were, they were to drink and, and they gave him vegetables. All right. What is taking place here and the reason in verse, if you go back to verse eight, The word here that Daniel uses is please don't make us eat the king's food because it would defile us. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus and I'll explain a little bit about what kosher is all about, being Jewish. In Leviticus 11, we have the dietary rules of what is clean and what is unclean. Obviously, what Daniel saw when he was the spread that was laid out before him, um, he said, If we eat this food, it will defile us. Well, here's why. If you're in Leviticus chapter 11, let's just go to verse 41 through 47. We could read the whole chapter, but let's just read these verses so you'll know what Daniel is talking about. Verse 41, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, whatever has many feet among the creeping things that creep on the earth, these you will not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make for yourself um, an abomination with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourself unclean with them lest here's the word you be defiled by them that's exactly the word daniel uses for i am the lord your god you shall therefore sanctify yourself and you shall be holy for i am holy neither shall you defy yourself with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth for i am the lord who brings you up out of the land of egypt to be your god and you shall therefore be holy for i am holy this is the law of the beast and the bird, and every living creature that moves in the waters of every uh, creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between the animals that may be eaten and animals that may not be eaten. Go back to Daniel, and we read in verse eight as the delicacies are placed before him, Daniel says, we can't eat this stuff. It would defile us. And basically what was put before them were things that were clearly a part of the book of Leviticus and the laws of what was clean and unclean. The same word is used here that we might not defile ourselves. All right, go to verses 17 through 21, which is the end of uh, the first chapter. And we find... (laughs) Here, Now, as for these young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And this is going to be important. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Please remember that, and I'm going to come back to it. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, which was three years later, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. And thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus, I'm gonna come back to verse 21. I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews, the first chapter, the first verse. Paul would be writing to the Hebrews, explaining in this case, um, the superiority of Christ over the prophets, and how God communicated to the people through the prophets. Hebrews chapter one, verse one, tells us, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, but has in his last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The contrast here, well how did God do it in the past? Go back to Daniel chapter one. Well, God spoke to Daniel through dreams and visions. And he was an Old Testament prophet. Now verse 21, the last verse of chapter one, then Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus, all right? So he's been there the full gamut of the Babylonian exile and was there when the Medes and the Persians, Cyrus would have been with the Medes and the Persians. He even went into the next world dominating empire so verse 1 with this verse at verse 1 we can learn Daniel's lifespan continuing in Babylon about the age of 17 he died when he was about 90 years of age he bridged the entire seven year of, of captivity he did not return to Israel but apparently died before the people left Babylon he, we actually have No record about that. So that brings us to the second chapter, which is probably, let me just read this. We are now in one of the great sections of the word of God as far as prophecy is concerned. The multi-metallic image that we're gonna put on the screen in a little bit the four beasts in chapter, in chapter two and then the four beasts in chapter seven and the 70 weeks of Daniel in chapter nine form the background and ribs of biblical prophecy. You could never have a skeleton of prophecy without these passages of scripture in the Old Testament. Everything the Lord Jesus said in of its Discourse was based on the book of Daniel. Remember the disciples asked him, Lord, tell us when will these things be? and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And he replied, when you therefore see the abomination of desolation, and then in parentheses, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Jesus acknowledges Daniel, and acknowledges indeed that he was a prophet. Matthew 24, three and 15. This chapter then is a very important chapter in the word of God. Especially now, I'll tell you why. Men everywhere are asking, what in in the world is going on? And how are things going to work out today with this crisis? The whole world, we're just commenting about it in the back room. The the, the mind-boggling thing is that it affects everyone in the entire world. And it's a worldwide, uh, what they call pandemic, and it's causing people... um, to take us a, a second look they're, they're, not that they want to slow down, but they 've had to slow down, and um, they 're asking questions and we have an unprecedented time that because we know we're, as we go through Daniel chapter two and because it 's going to tell us in this chapter that the things that the dream that Nebuchadnezzar is going to have pertains not only to world history and the kingdoms that have been and the kingdoms that's going to come, but what to look for um, as Daniel talks, gives us more clarity about the Antichrist uh, than the book of Revelation does. And so as we get into this, we can actually have a great opportunity right now to get people into studying Bible prophecy which is virtually unheard of in, in most churches today because they don't, do not take a literal view of the book. They take either an allegorical view or a symbolic view. But what we're going to read here in Daniel chapter 2 is a fact of history. It drives the liberal um, uh, Bible teachers crazy because it is so detailed and accurate, and I'll quote a little bit about their frustration a little bit later. So let's, let's go to chapter 2, and verses 1 through 3, Nebuchadnezzar is going to have a dream. Now, the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, plural. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants, remember I said starting with chapter 2 through 7, uh, it goes from Hebrew to the Aramaic, and here's how we know that. He's tell the king in Aramaic, well, king live forever. Tell the servant the dream, and then we'll give you the interpretation. And um, basically, Nebuchadnezzar is saying if you guys, this is Dwight's paraphrase, if you guys are worth your salt and you have supernatural powers, then that's not going to happen. Verse five, but the king answered and said to him, not so fast, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, I'm gonna cut you in pieces and your houses will be made in ash heap. Let me just talk a little bit about the complete control that Nebuchadnezzar as a world dictator had. It's gonna be different from the Medes and the Persians because it's during this period of time that Daniel's going to get thrown into the lion's den, and the king that put him there realized he'd been tricked, but he did not have the power of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, here, if it's Tuesday, and Nebuchadnezzar said, no, it's Monday, well, it became Monday. That's the authority that he had. He said, my decision is firm. And um, if you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, I'm going to cut you in pieces and your houses will be an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, then you will receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, well, let the king tell his servant the dream and we'll give the interpretation. The king said, no way. I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. He's saying, if you guys are so gifted with your astrology and and your occultism and so on and so forth, then it should be no big deal for you to understand the dream. They could not. Verse 10, the king answered, Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord or ruler, ever has asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean, is a difficult thing that the king requires and there is no other one who can tell it to the king except the gods who don't dwell in flesh, right? For this reason, the king was angry and he was furious and he gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Well, who does that include? Daniel and his three friends. So the decree went out. And they began to kill the wise men and they started looking for Daniel and his companions to kill them. Obviously, Daniel wasn't a part of the group because he just gets word of it. Now picking it up from 14 through 19, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, well, why is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch made uh, the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel wasn't there. Daniel's getting filled in now. And Daniel went and asked the king, just give me a little time that we might tell the king the king's interpretation. So Daniel goes home and he calls for a prayer meeting. Then Daniel went to his house and made known the decision to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And I'm just going to stop there before I get into the rest of this. Uh, God uh, verse In these chapters here, they have a prayer meeting. The Lord reveals it to Daniel. Now Daniel knows. And the reason I wanted to stop there is because we read, So Daniel, bless the God of heaven. Let me just give a little personal application here. You know, we pray about things often. And a lot of times, you know, the Lord will say yes or the Lord will say no or maybe he'll say wait. That's the one I don't like. Yes and no, is fine. I hate waiting. (laughs) But here from verses 20 to 24 is nothing more than a thank you prayer. Now when we get to chapter 9, the first 19 verses is a repentive prayer, but this is not. This is a prayer of gratitude. And the point and the application that I'd like to make is remember to say thank you to the Lord. Have this attitude of gratitude that the Lord hears you, provides for you, and when he does so, this is what Daniel did. Daniel answered and said, verse 20, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, And he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness. And light dwells with him. I thank you and I praise you. O God of my fathers, for you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what you asked of you for you have made known to us the king's demand. And picking it up now with verse 24, Daniel um, seeks an audience with Nebuchadnezzar to give him um, the interpretation of, of the dream as in this first part here, verses 24 to 28 He's really, again, just giving the the glory to the Lord. So let's pick it up in verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, which means, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, worshiper of Baal, are you able to make known to me the the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And I like this because it's sort of a little dig on Daniel's part against these other Um, so-called soothsayers and astrologers verse 27 Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said the secret which the king has demanded the wise men, the astrologers magicians, the soothsayers they couldn't do it so he's purposely bringing that up and then we have this word but remember that they said no man could do this only the gods have that ability so First, the dig by Daniel. Your guys couldn't do it. But then he says, but there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be noticed here in the latter days. So he doesn't puff himself up and says, my walk with God is such that he speaks to me and so on and so forth. No. No. He says, these guys couldn't do it, but the God that I serve, he's the one that is made known to me. So he's giving God the glory. And there's a whole Bible study within itself. The danger of touching what Pastor Chuck would call touching the glory. Um, When the Lord reveals something, what we do is we pray this prayer that Daniel prayed, and we just simply give thanks, knowing that every good and perfect gift Comes from above, so um, verse twenty eight. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he, He's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar. And I have this underlined. What will be in the latter days? It's going to encompass much more than that. But this is an important verse to underline. All right. Now he gets into the specifics and the dream itself. Your dream and the visions, plural of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what will come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who have made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And now we get into it. You, O king, you are watching. And behold, there was a great image. And this great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. And its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs bronze. It had legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And while you were watching this image you watched until a stone was cut out without hands which struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces and then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together became like chaff among the summer threshing floor and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. All right, let's just stop right there. I could just imagine Nebuchadnezzar's jaw dropping at this time. Let's put up on the screen uh, what he would have seen. And this is, Daniel just nailed it, but he simply Um, revealing what the Lord had showed to him. So that's the dream. The interpretation of it begins in uh, verse 28. So we'll leave that on the screen for the rest of the study. So he says in verse 37, You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell and the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hands and made you roll over all of them. You are this head of gold. All right, he's already mind-blown that Daniel's nailed it with what he saw. But now he wants to know the interpretation. And now he just found out that the head of gold, Daniel said, you're over it all. You're over the entire world right now. Therefore, in this image, you are the head of gold. I don't think he liked what he heard next because of what we're going to study in chapter three. That'll be next Wednesday evening. But after you shall arise another kingdom, notice it's inferior to yours. And I gave you the example that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's complete and total authority His word was final. But then he says this inferior, just as gold is inferior, uh, I mean that the silver would be inferior to gold. After you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then a third kingdom of of bronze, uh, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces, and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. So what we've gone through, and we'll get into detail of these kingdoms as we make our way through the book of Daniel, but let's just go through them. Babylon was defeated in one day, by the way, and we'll get into detail when we get to that, by the Medes and the Persians, the Medes and the Persians were conquered by Greece, Alexandra, Alexander the Great, and then the Romans overthrew um, the Grecian Empire. So what we have is here one, two, three, four, and remember, two preceded them. Remember, the first one was Egypt, the second one was Assyria. Well, they're past tense, so they're not a part of this vision. The vision begins with Babylon. And it goes from there to silver, to bronze, to iron, to the ten toes that will be still yet future. But all the way up to the Roman Empire, these are all facts of history. Any history student knows these are facts of histories. Verse 41, whereas you saw the feet and the toes partly of clay and partly of iron, The kingdoms shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw in the iron and the ceramic. So in this verse here, and the toes were partly of clay, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. Interesting verse. But they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now this kingdom, um, We are having Mary do a special update and it'll be this Sunday and the update is going to be on these 10 toes. So I'm just gonna touch on it and say this much for now. This is yet future. It has to do with the um, empire that will be a one world empire ruled by the Antichrist and Mary's update before the message On Sunday is what she's going to be referring to. And notice verse 44. And in the days of these kings, what kings? These 10 future kings that are going to be set up. It says the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That's why it's referred to in verse 28 as what will be in the latter days. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it will stand forever. In contrast to these world governments that have come, they have gone. When Jesus establishes his kingdom, it will be an everlasting kingdom. And then verse 45, Inasmuch as you saw these stone. This stone is a direct reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was cut out of the mountain without hands and it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay and silver and the gold and the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. And I like this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And again, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar is so dumbfounded by not only the accuracy of this that um, it just he just had to be speechless, but what he's going to do will end by the promotion here, but before I do that, I have to say this: so precise is this prophecy that critics of the scripture, especially if it has to do with the supernatural, this being the case here, this is a supernatural vision given by God. If you're a liberal um, pastor and you don't hold to the supernatural, then they're so bothered, especially when we get to chapter seven, with the preciseness of the detail. Let me just talk a little bit about Alexander the Great and it talks about that when he dies, he's gonna give it to the four winds. Well, it's symbolic, but everybody knows that when Alexander died, at the, he was about 30 to 33, that um, who's gonna get the kingdom? He said, give it to the strong. And it was div- his kingdom was divided into four different sections by four of his generals. And when you read this, it's so spot on that um, the enemy has been attacking this, this book of Daniel. The, the book of Daniel is a very important one, and it therefore has been the object of special attack by Satan. The book of Daniel has been a battlefield between conservative and liberal scholars for years, and much of the controversy has to do with the dating of the writing of the book. You know, one of the heretics, liberal from the third century A.D. declared that the book of Daniel was a forgery, written during the time of Antioch Epiphanes and the Maccabees, and we call this the Maccabean Revolt. That would have been taking place around 170 B.C., almost 400 years after Daniel lived. In other words, they're saying Daniel had this down. He's, he was just recounting history because he's too accurate in his detail for it to be supernatural, However, that was the claim. In other words, it was late dated. But here's the facts. However, the very interesting thing is, is that the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, was translated before the time of Antioch Epiphanes, and it contains the book of Daniel. We here at Calvary Chapel don't struggle with such things. This is God's word, it is an errant. Jesus said, even to the jot or a tittle. It has to be fulfilled if it's been foretold. So here, God is giving to Nebuchadnezzar during the Babylonian time, the next kingdoms that are gonna come all the way out to the one that hasn't even come yet, and it's during that time that the stone, not cut with hands, is going to establish his kingdom forever. Now just imagine, (laughs) again, and I like this, the dream is certain and the interpretation is, is true. It brings us to our last uh, couple of verses and the response that Nebuchadnezzar has for Daniel. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal the secret. And then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over the wise men of Babylon. Are you catching this? Nobody has more power than Daniel except Nebuchadnezzar himself. And also Daniel positioned the king that he would set Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Daniel but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now remember these are nothing more than captives from Jerusalem that just happened to be raised up in this three year period of time and causes the uh, king to have this dream and positions Daniel in such a place to be raised up to the number two most important man in the entire world. Now this has happened before, and I'll close with this thought. When you read chapters 37 through 50 in the book of Genesis, more chapters given to Joseph than anybody in the book of Genesis. There's 110 similarities between Joseph and the Lord Jesus Christ. But like Daniel, Pharaoh had a dream. And it was about seven years of famine. It was about cows eating, some were lean, and he had this dream. Nobody could figure it out. And Daniel's in prison at the time. And he had interpreted a dream for the king's cupbearer. And um, Daniel says, I've interpreted your dream now. You go back and you (laughs) you remind Pharaoh that I'm the one that got you out of here. But he spaced it out, forgot, until this dream. The king has a dream, and he goes, oh, wait a second. There's a guy who's still in prison. He interpreted a dream that I had, and it was true. And I'm, he said I would be back being the king's cupbearer. And sure enough, here I am. And he says, go get him. So Joseph comes. Joseph tells Pharaoh what the dream means, and after it came to pass, he elevated Joseph to be the second most powerful man next to the Pharaoh himself. Why was he elevated? Hebrews one says, in the past God spoke through the prophets through dreams and visions. Joseph interpreted the dream. Daniel interpreted the dream. And God raised him up, both of them. The first world empire, remember, was Egypt. Well, Joseph at one time was the second most powerful man in the world in Egypt. And now in Babylon, Daniel is raised up because he was able to interpret um, this dream here. And we're right at our time. That's impossible. How can I be right on time? I'm always five minutes over. Well, it's been, it's, Four to three, <laughs> and uh, Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court has overturned the stay-at-home edict. So be free with these next five minutes. I we'll should go dance in the street or something like that? Let's pray, Lord. As we get into this study of the Book of Daniel, um, we want to thank you that we under- actually understand Bible prophecy that we're not going to try to explain it away or late dated it or anything like that. But we praise and thank you. As you told your disciples, you do not call them ser- servants, but you call them friends. Because a friend has um, the secrets revealed to them by their master. Thank you, Lord, that you're our friend. And that you've opened up your word to us to tell us what will come to pass in the latter days. We stand in awe, Lord, at the wonder of your word. And we agree with Daniel's prayer. We thank you when we praise you. O God of our fathers, that you've given us wisdom and might and that you've made known, actually, to us what not only has been, but what's going to be. And so, in closing, we pray for your kingdom to come. And um, go before us, Lord, as we study the book of Daniel. In Jesus' name, amen. Nobody has more power than Daniel except Nebuchadnezzar himself. And also Daniel positioned the king that he would set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Daniel, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now remember, these are nothing more than captives from Jerusalem that just happened to be raised up in this three year period of time and causes the uh, king to have this dream and positions Daniel in such a place to be raised up to the number two most important man in the entire world. Now this has happened before and I'll close with this thought. When you read chapters 37 through 50 in the book of Genesis, more chapters given to Joseph than anybody in the book of Genesis. There's 110 similarities between Joseph and the Lord Jesus Christ. But like Daniel, Pharaoh had a dream. And it was about seven years of famine. It was about cows eating, some were lean, and he had this dream. Nobody could figure it out. And Daniel's in prison at the time And he had interpreted a dream for the king's cupbearer. And um, Daniel says, I've interpreted your dream now. You go back and you (laughs) you remind Pharaoh that I'm the one that got you out of here. But he spaced it out. Forgot. Until this dream. The king has a dream. And he goes, oh, wait a second. There's a guy who's still in prison. He interpreted a dream that I had. And it was true. And I'm... He said, I'd be back being the king's cupbearer. And sure enough, here I am. And he says, go get him. So Joseph comes. Joseph tells Pharaoh what the dream means. And after it came to pass, he elevated Joseph to be the second most powerful man next to the Pharaoh himself. Why was he elevated? Hebrews 1 says, In the past, God spoke through the prophets through dreams and visions. Joseph interpreted the dream. Daniel interpreted the dream. And God raised him up, both of them. The first world empire, remember, was Egypt. Well, Joseph at one time was the second most powerful man in the world in Egypt. And now in Babylon, Daniel is raised up because he was able to interpret um, this dream here and we're right at our time, that's impossible. How can I be right on time? I'm always five minutes over. Well, it's been, it's four to three, <laughs> and uh, Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court has overturned the stay-at-home edict, so be free with these next five minutes. Or I should go dance in the street or something like that. Let's pray. Lord, as we get into this study of the book of Daniel, Um, we want to thank you that we actually understand Bible prophecy, that we're not going to try to explain it away or late date it or anything like that. But we praise and thank you. As you told your disciples, you do not call them servants, but you call them friends because a friend has um, the secrets revealed to them by their master. Thank you, Lord, that you're our friend and that you've opened up your word to us to tell us what will come to pass in the latter days. We stand in awe, Lord, at the wonder of your word, and we agree with Daniel's prayer. We thank you when we praise you. O God of our fathers, that you've given us wisdom and might and that you've made known, actually to us, what not only has been, but what's going to be. And so in closing, we pray for your kingdom to come. And um, go before us, Lord, as we study the book of Daniel. In Jesus' name, amen.